0: Greetings. We offer these podcasts freely and your support really makes a difference. To make a donation, please visit tarbrock.com. It is my complete delight to welcome and introduce him and Sunum and blessings and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for I'm yeah. um, just a few words about him and then I'm going to exit stage left. But um, him and I actually met him um, probably 15 years ago when I was just a young thing and <laughs> you were just a, and he was teaching uh, actually Buddhist teachings at uh, Hampshire College and subsequently. Heman's a teacher and author, travels, teaches internationally, extremely well known in Korea. His his books have sold 3 million, 4 million copies, and we're talking about major, and we have the books here. The one that is most recent is Love for Imperfect Things, and um, I've read both of them. You're going to love this book. It's so beautiful. It's it's got, um, it's completely accessible, like short pieces that are absolutely deep and beautiful and wise, and I really do love your book. <laughs> so um, I just want to say that um, it's really amazing to have a, a guest here that I've experienced as being so completely genuine and embodying the teachings uh, of wisdom and love and I know that you will enjoy this uh, teaching you get tonight. So again, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for uh, inviting me here. I've been watching uh, this Dharma gathering uh, from Korea through YouTube, and it, I never thought that I would be here and <laughs> meeting <laughs> you. So it's such an honor. I'm very happy to be here. Before I start, I was thinking maybe I can start out uh, with a joke. Would that be okay? Yeah? yeah? But I actually got it from the internet, so I... <laughs> uh, it's called You Are Just Like Frank. A man walked out to uh, the street and catches a taxi just going by. He gets into the taxi, and the cabbie says, Perfect timing. You are just like Frank. And the passenger says, Who? And the cabbie says, Frank Furman. He's a guy who did everything right all the time. Like my coming along when you needed a cab, things happen like that to Frank Furman every single time. And passenger asked or said, there are always a few clouds over everybody. But cabbie said, not Frank Furman. (laughs) He was good at sports. He could have won the Grand Slam at tennis. He could golf with the pro. He sang like an opera singer and danced like a Broadway star, and he could have heard him you know, play the piano. He was an amazing guy." Uh, and the passenger said, "'Sounds like he was something really special.'" The cabbie said, "'There's more. He has a memory like computer. He remembers everybody's birthday. He could fix anything. He He also knows the quickest way to Go in traffic and avoid traffic jam, not like me. I always seem to get stuck in them. But Frank, he never made any mist- any mistake. He really knew how to treat a woman, and <laughs> he never answered her back, even if she was in the wrong, and his clothing was always immaculate. He was the perfect man. And the passenger said, Amazing fellow, how did you meet him? And then Cabby said, well, I never actually met Frank. He died, and I have the pleasure of being married to his widow. <laughs> I'm so glad that you like that joke. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, perfect man, Frank, yes. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I wrote a book called uh, Love for Imperfect Things and I was, uh, I wrote this book partly because I was inspired by uh, one of the great Zen uh, masters saying Uh, it's according to Zen master Sung Chan he was a great uh, Chan or Zen master in China back in 6th century Uh, it says true freedom is being without anxiety about imperfection. True freedom is being without anxiety about imperfection. So I wanted to talk about this uh, toward the end. I want to come around and talk about this and how we can actually become uh, not so anxious about our own imperfection. But first, you know, I thought that uh, maybe I can ask this question. You know, when do we start feeling that some of the things that we our some aspect of ourselves uh, feeling that it's a problematic or imperfect let me say it again you know when do you start when did we start feeling that uh, some aspect of ourselves is not perfect it's, it's problematic we need to change you know, when did you when did we first feel that way Probably, you know, uh, we felt it uh, when our loved one, you know, in this case, uh, uh, Frank's, uh, not Frank's Berman's wife, you know, (laughs) who's, (laughs) you know, the cabbie's uh, wife, uh, he, she was keep on, you know, criticizing him, you know, telling him you should do this, you know, how come you're not doing that, you know, things like that. So, you know, when we are young, sometimes our parents, you know, loved one, you know, mother or father, uh, they can become very, you know, critical and they can say, oh, this aspect of you needs to change, this is not good, you know. And then, um, you know, we slowly, you know, because we are young, we didn't know any better, we internalize the voice of our critics, you know. So those critics, you know, they are usually very, very good at finding faults in other people, and then uh, so unknowingly we internalize, and then even though the critic is gone, we still feel that there is something wrong with me, do you, do you see what I'm saying, yeah? So often uh, oftentimes that kind of, you know, the voice of critics uh, is uh, is in the... He or she loves to compare, you know. Like in this case, uh, uh, the cabbie was compared to uh, deceased, you know, the wife's husbands. Uh, uh, or, you know, your parents might, you know, compare you yourself uh, to your uh, older brother or siblings or your um, uh, cousins. You know, oh, how come you are not behaving like the way your uh, cousin is behaving? You know, things like that in nature. Uh, so. Yeah, in order to uh, overcome uh, those kind of uh, inner critics within us, then uh, we sometimes uh, set the bar really high, you know, uh, almost too high that we cannot actually overcome. We cannot actually realize that goal. And that goal is usually you set it not to uh, satisfy ourselves, but to prove that we are worthy to your parents or somebody uh, who have been very critical of you. So, you know, I was thinking that, um, however, you know, if we just really examine this, you know, idea of perfections uh, or the ideas about imperfect things, um, you realize that, uh, first of all, it is just a thought, you know, it is just an idea, you know. Uh, it, this idea is in your head and oftentimes it is not shared by everyone you know, Let me just give you one example you know, When I was, um, uh, like uh, two years ago, uh, I was asked to do uh, the radio show, you know, uh, some kind of music DJ you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I get to play all of my favorite meditation music. You know, I get to talk about, you know, all of my favorite authors. So, you know, I said, oh, okay, maybe I'll do that. And so uh, on my first day of recording, you know, um, I remember, you know, one of my friends told me that when you speak in a low voice, you know, it sounds really nice, pleasing, and attractive. You know, so when I was you know recording my first very first you know uh, show, I tried very hard to speak very low, you know. <laughs> but you know, a, a, as I was doing it again and again, I realized that it wasn't you know good enough for me. So I kept telling my producer, "I have to do it again. I have to do it again," you know. So after you know trying maybe four or five times, uh, my producer said, "With all due respect." We don't really care, you know, we cannot tell the difference, you know Only difference is only uh, in my, head. it was in my head, you know So, um, I, I just, you know, realized that, you know, how many times do we um, exhaust ourselves uh, Just to get to the, you know, perfection, the idea that we had, you know Uh, Sometimes we do it at the expense of our relationship or our health, you know, or some of the happy things that we could have enjoyed, but we completely become, like, almost neurotic, you know, when it comes to just being, you know, wanting to become very good at something. However, there are, you know, different ways to um, uh, deal with this kind of, you know, imperfection uh, problems. like, so I would like to just bring a couple of, you know, examples. You know, first one is we have to just accept that we are not in control. Uh, like, for example, you know, you, you might be wondering, you know, why on earth, you know, Heming Sinim is wearing sunglasses? But <laughs> because I was so, you know, looking forward to this moment, and I, you know, however, um, right before, uh, like uh, two days ago, you know, I started having pink eye. So whenever I looked at my mirror, I looked like a villain character <laughs> in a Marvel anima- animation. So uh, I thought maybe I should wear it. And also, uh, uh, on my on my way here from New York, uh, I was in a subway, and but somehow Sixth uh, Avenue, uh, the the tunnel, the water pipe, you know, broke. Uh, so I, I have to make a really long detour, and, and then uh, thereby I just miss my train, you know? Uh, so, you know, you know, things like that happens, right? And then when things like that happens, uh, I think we always have a choice. That is, you know, where to dwell our mind. So for me, I try to uh, dwell, you know, try to see the bright side of this, so, for example, you know, uh, as I was coming in, I was thinking to myself, you know, whenever I look at the Tibetan monk, you know, they get to wear sunglasses. <laughs> Do you know, that? <laughs> you know that? But in Korea, it's like very strange. You know, uh, monks are not. You know, you know, like if I were to wear sunglasses, uh, I would be frowned upon. You know. So um, this is my moment here. I felt like, you know, <laughs> I could just be a cool-looking monk. You know, uh, you know, looking like the Neo character from, you know, the movie uh, Matrix. Anyway, so, uh, and then also I know that when this you know, symptom disappears in two, three days later, I know that I'll be very grateful. You know, I know how, um, how wonderful that I don't have an illness anymore. Uh, we took it for granted that you know we our, our eyes will be you know healthy and clean all the time, but that is not the case. And I also, I'm very thankful that it is not something very serious kind of illness. You know, it could have been flu. You know, for example, and, and then uh, I might have to you know cancel this event. And another you know thing you know about the missing my train was that as you know the train actually departs at noon but when I got to Penn Station, I was literally 12.01. So I missed by one minute, right? So uh, there I was. I had a choice. You know, do I have to dwell on you know, how, how you know, in, imperfect this situation is, you know, or just find some bright side of this? So I was thinking to myself, well... You know, for the last, you know, two weeks that I've been in the U.S., because of the cold weather, I didn't get to do any kind of exercise. So, for the last uh, three, you know, avenues that I had to rush to get here, it was a kind of exercise, you know what I mean? You know, I was drenched in sweat, and then my heart was beating really fast, and I felt like, wow, you know, this nature, you know, is telling me to exercise in a very funny way. So... And then, another thing that I noticed is because I had uh, one hour, the next train depart at one, so all of a sudden I have one hour, and then I realized that uh, I can actually go have uh, my favorite you know, Mexican food because in Korea, it's very difficult to find really good Mexican food. So I found a nice Mexican restaurant and sat down and then ordered my favorite you know, vegetable quesadilla. So I was savoring for one hour, yeah. So uh, there are a lot of imperfect things going on in our lives, you know. Like for example, when I first became a monk, uh, my master, um, he wasn't exactly what I had in mind, you know. Uh, Because I thought that Buddhist masters are supposed to be very sincere and dedicated and, you know, uh, very calm. But my master, you know, he turns out to be hot temper, and he loves to make a lot of jokes, you know. He's, he's, he, you know he wasn't very uh, perfect, you know. So uh, at that time, uh, when I became ordain, um, uh, you know, back in 2000, uh, I remember uh, there was another monk, Korean monk. Uh, he and I, we, we became very close. So I would sometimes visit, you know, my you know, friend monk's uh, temple. And then uh, uh, I would have dinner together with his master, right? And then when I looked at his master, I was thinking to myself, Oh my gosh, you know, this master is perfect, you know? <laughs> He's <is> sincere. <laughs> he doesn't make any jokes, you know? He's very uh, dedicated and serious, uh, perfect, you know, how come I, I, don't, I didn't get to have, you know, his master, you know So I was a little bit envious, you know, and, and then uh, time passed, you know, 10 years later uh, I met my friend, Monk, uh, again, out on, on Insadong in Seoul, uh, accidentally, and then I said, "Oh, hi! It's so nice to see you again. You know, how have you been? How's your, you know, master? You know, the perfect one. You know." And then my friend monk, he said that I'm no longer in touch with my master. He said he 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 distanced himself from his own master. So I was very very perplexed. You know, I didn't know why. Because your master to me was perfect. And he said, "Well, because he was perfect, he asked all." his disciple to behave in a perfect way, you know, and, and, and so he was keep nagging us, you know, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do this, you have to do that, so we felt very hurt, you know, and so I decided to leave uh, my master. So uh, that's what he told me, and then at that moment, I realized that uh, my master is actually not too bad after all. <laughs> because... because because his hot temper, uh, there is actually a positive side to it, you know, if you look at it. That is, uh, he does not hold, you know, grudges, you know. He, uh, after he gets mad, you know, next morning, he often forgets all about it, you know. So, uh, and then he also often uh, give, gives me, uh, gave me a pocket money, you know, after he getting mad. Uh, <laughs> and also, also because... Because he wasn't perfect, you know, he was so willing to forgive other monks, you know. Um, And some monks would come to uh, my temple after having some kind of scandal. Uh, However, my master is, okay, it's okay, you know, we are all human beings, we all make mistakes, you know. And therefore, my master, even though we live in a very small temple, we are living with seven or eight different monastics together. You know, oftentimes with Buddhist nuns and monks together and I realized that it is because of my master's imperfect, you know, aspects it, and which, is, uh, you know, which I realized later on. Uh, so I think we always have a choice, you know, when it comes to uh, imperfect things. You know, you can look at the brighter side and, or you can look at the, you know, all the negative sides. And if you were to dwell on the negative side, and of course uh, you will feel uh, your life is full of problems. Uh, one time, after giving my talk, you know, one woman uh, she asked me a question. Oh, Hemin uh, zunim, I don't know what to do. My husband, uh, he is um, he and I, we don't communicate very well because he doesn't listen to me. You know, uh, he he never ever admits that he is wrong. And he would usually tell me what to do, you know. But, uh, you know, he doesn't want to talk very much, you know. So I don't know what to do. And then, exactly a week later, uh, another woman, you know, she asked me a question. Hey, I don't know what to do, you know. My husband is too chatty, you know. He loves to talk, and he's worse than my girlfriends, you know. <laughs> he just always asking me how I feel, you know. Just, <laughs> I just, I don't know what to do with this, you know. So, I wish I could, but the thing is, you know, when I asked the woman who had a problem, you know, communication problem, uh, I asked her, you know, you've been married, uh, you know, long time. Uh, How come, uh, when you first met him, you know, what was the attraction? And she said, well, when I first met him, he was, he appeared to me very manly, very protective, very muscular, you know, these are the kind of, uh, quality that I really, you know, felt, you know, uh, attracted to. Uh, but it is the same quality that also can be uh, not so, you know, well uh, communicative, uh, not listening to the end, you know, do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah? It's the same aspect which has a two, you know, the negative and the positive side and, uh, but we often forget that uh, it has, uh, you know, a positive side. We just uh, dwell on the problems. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I would like to talk about um, when, we are, uh, um, when we are feeling a lot of imperfect things within ourselves, uh, we sometimes identify ourselves with those, you know, flaws, those imperfect things while forgetting our true nature. You know, uh, like one of the ways to deal with imperfection, imperfect thing is first, like the way I said earlier, we can look at the positive side, you know, and then the second one is much more Buddhist ultimate, you know, solution that is to uh, realize that you are not uh, the imperfect things. You are the silent being that is aware of your imperfect things. You see the difference? You know, don't identify yourself with the imperfect things, but you are the silent being, observer, or inner witness, or uh, awareness that knows your imperfect things. Uh, Oftentimes, we just, you know, uh, just ended up uh, unconsciously just identify with uh, some of the, you know, manifest aspect ourselves, However, uh, our true nature, you know, what, uh, what you know, Buddha call our Buddha nature, uh, is formless. It is unmanifest, it is free, and it is always here and now. And out of which many different uh, aspects of our un- imperfect things might manifest, uh, nevertheless, uh, we are not bound by those imperfect things. So uh, let's just do a just quick uh, exercise. If you you know, uh, if you can indulge me, that is, can you just feel, uh, sense uh, what your uh, shoulder feels like? Can you feel and sense how your shoulder? is now feeling Yeah? Can you do that? Yeah? Yeah? And then while you are feeling that uh, the sensation arising in your shoulder area and now I also want you to have one thought It can be any thought If you cannot decide which, which thought to have, then just say, um, let it be. So now you have a one thought, and now you can also sense uh, how your shoulder is feeling. And now, uh, also become aware of my voice which comes from, from the outside of your body. So now you can sense all three things. The first thing is the sensation in your body, and the second thing is a thought, and third thing is the sound that is coming outside of your body. Then I would like to ask you this question that is, between your thought and the sensation on your shoulder, is it happening in the same awareness or is it happening in two different awareness? Is there any kind of wall or a curtain dividing the awareness? that is the awareness of your thoughts and awareness of your sensation or is this just one awareness field within this one awareness field that you are experiencing? And now, let's go one step further um, while you are listening to my voice and see if if the voice is actually happening within the same awareness field or whether this is happening outside of your awareness field if it actually happens outside of your awareness field then you wouldn't be able to aware become aware of this voice, right? Because you are aware of this voice, it means it is within your awareness. And within this awareness, can you see if there is any divide between the sound, this perception of this sound, and the sensation of your shoulder? do they happen within the same awareness field or do they happen in the two separate awareness field now you can open your eyes yeah so what did you discover you know did you were you able to feel that it is the one awareness field within which all the sensation, the perception, and conceptual thought all occur you know, at the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you understand yeah. what I'm trying to say? Yeah? Yeah? So this is one aliveness, you know? Uh, if I borrow Tara's wonderful uh, language, it is just one aliveness, one unified aliveness through from which all this different sensation and, and Perceptions and this, uh, you know, uh, all this is all happening. But the thing is, you know, people we tend to just focus on um, the manifest, manifest aspect, you know, the sensation or the thoughts or the, um, you know, the sounds or the perception outside, whether it's a visual or audio, you know, uh, while forgetting while forgetting uh, unmanifest this awareness field, you know? And that is our true nature. And that true nature uh, has the characteristic of knowing, right? You know, you become aware. Uh, However, uh, whatever that you become aware of cannot taint or pollute that awareness field. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, uh, to make it easier, so um, let's say uh, just become aware of this space, okay? Let's say you just just become aware of this space and then um, I first put my phone here, right? And are you become aware of this phone? Yes, right? And then I go like this, like this. Then are you become aware of my book? Right? Yeah. But if this awareness, you know, the object, the phone can actually uh, pollute or taint the awareness, then when I did this, some image of this phone has to appear here. Some trace of the phone you know, has to appear here uh, on top of the, uh, the book. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but when, we, when, I, when I switch, you know, what happened? It completely, you know, erases, you know, and, and then it comes back and we can, um, we can uh, recognize a new object. In other words, uh, you know, we, we, there, there can be many different objects, you know, popping out, manifesting out of that awareness field. However, uh, whatever that object is, even though you are very intimate with that object, uh, you know, because you know, you're very intimate with it. However, this object itself, no matter how imperfect it is, can never ever pollute or taint your Buddha nature. That's why you can become uh, living like what you know, this gem master Seung Chan said, uh, that is, um, true freedom is being without anxiety about imperfections. So there can be lots of imperfect things uh, However, you know that your true nature which is unborn, unmanifest nature uh, can never die or can never be uh, polluted or influenced by it uh, You are ever-present, uh, free and loving and uh, nurturing you know, awareness uh, That's where your true home is Okay, and I would like to invite Tara at this point. By the way, you know, I, this is my f- first time uh, giving this kind of uh, large Dharma talk in English, so I'm very nervous, to be honest. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I'm just trying to memorize your jokes. I think they're great. I want to use them. <laughs> and I was thinking of wearing sunglasses, too, because I think it looks really cool, doesn't it? <laughs> Well I love what you're talking about because as many of you know and this is love from perfect things that so much of um, what we always explore together is the suffering that comes from feeling that something's wrong with us. I mean that's like you probably is this in Korea too. Oh yes. Poor yes, suffering. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Bad personhood, you know. Yeah. And so I love that you're really exploring the strategies that wake us up from that. And, and when I listen to you, um, one of the things that really hits me um, is that, you know, I feel like, uh, like I have some mastery at facing imperfection. Like, it's like all my life I feel like it's like so many rounds of being caught in this sense of um, failing and not knowing that I was caught in it and then having to go, oh, it's this again. So that's why I call it like a trance of unworthiness. And I'm wondering, does this still, do you still go through it? Do you still get caught and then have to go, oh, I'm in that one again, and then extricate?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, Like, you know, sometimes when I am a little bit... uh, feeling blue, you know, so, you know, a little bit depressed or something, I pick up my book and I read my book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, just to make sure that I get better, you know. Uh, so, yeah, so like, I talk about in my book. That is, you know, uh, the, one of the most difficult things, you know, it's difficult spiritual practice is actually um, practicing what you preach. And uh, there is a huge gap between the two the initial awaken to your uh, Buddha nature, what we just described, uh, or during the meditation where you led us to, uh, uh, it's not too difficult, you know, you can get there. But the problem is, um, can you live in that awareness all the time, you know? Can you know that all those things is uh, uh, without, Permanent, you know, it, it is like a, uh, a wonderful display of our uh, Buddha nature.
0: So that brings up my question for you: Is when you get caught and it's hard to pay attention in a way that reveals the essential impersonality and change? Um, how else do you work with yourself if you're feeling really, really stuck? Do you, do you ever have to really turn towards, you know, finding some self-compassion? And how do you do that?
1: Yeah. Uh, first, I try to go back to my Buddha nature. <laughs> that is, um, uh, whatever that is happening, it is actually not going to affect, you know, the, the ever-present, uh, our true self. Um, and then the second thing is, I try to, you know, understand the situation, you know, Oftentimes, we approach uh, any kind of circumstance, situation, uh, finding, finding it very troublesome because we want to change the person or change the situation. But uh, it is almost impossible, you know. Uh, can, can you change your own child? You know, even though you share the same DNA, it's almost very you know difficult to change your child. And then you know, think about all other people, you know, who, with whom you never share any kind of DNA. You know, so um, and yeah, we still try. You know, we try to. Uh, and then uh, so uh, rather than trying to change other people, I try to understand. You know, and where this person is coming from. Uh, why did he you know uh, behave in such a way? Uh, that hurt me. Uh, another, you know, the, you know, the call to awakening is also uh, whenever we feel any kind of pain or heartbreak, you know, that's also a great opportunity for us to wake up.
0: So, has there been uh, times when you've been caught in, in judgment of other people and it's been hard for you to be able to? See what's causing them to do things in that way. See how their pain's causing it. And
1: yes, um, <laughs> you know, I I started this school of broken heart in Korea, um, and then uh, I, I after the success of my first book, I realized that I have to. I want to offer something back to my people in Korea. And so I began to offer many different um, great courses on like people who lost their loved one, and people who just recently uh, got divorced, or young people who couldn't find a job, you know. So I wanted to offer many kind of uh, therapeutic, you know, um, program uh, for free. And then uh, slowly, other, you know, uh, people, they came together. So now it's growing. And however, you know, right before coming to here, I noticed that uh, um, there was, a, like, a long complaint. You know, there was one woman, you know, uh, complaining. And then she was willing to even demonstrate in front of the School of Broken Heart uh, and basically accusing me that I, my therapeutic, you know, program actually hurt her. Something like that. And so I was really, really surprised. And so I invited her uh, immediately (laughs) and tried to understand her. Um, And then as I was talking, I realized that she thinks that her cell phone was actually uh, being tapped by the the New York uh, governor. I have no idea why she thinks that way. And then in order to solve that problem, uh, the Korean president has to get involved but because, however, she doesn't have any tie to Korean president therefore, uh, by bothering me, somehow Korean president will uh, get involved and then he will talk to the New York governor and then (laughs) the New York governor will... (laughs) You see what I mean? I realized, you know, what was going on was, you know, she basically really, really believed, you know, her thoughts and she believed this thought to be true. And as I was speaking more and more, the cause of that was that you know, while she was very young, her father um, was really violent. Uh, and, and I think that was the, one of the reasons uh, why she began to have that kind of problem. So once I had that kind of understanding, I began to feel a little more compassion.
0: I'm really grateful that you shared that because as I was asking, I was thinking that sometimes it's really clear. We can, somebody can do something and we can see, oh, that person's suffering, they're, they're, you know, feeling themselves not loved or whatever. But sometimes it's really hard to get in, down and yet there's something about trusting that if you pay attention long enough, everybody that's causing suffering is in some way caught.
1: Right, right. They're in Absolutely. some way caught,
0: and just knowing that um, actually creates a lot of space in terms of reacting.
1: Right. They are caught uh, either in the memory. That's right. Know, like, you know, it can become a trauma, and they can never, they don't know how to unstuck. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and, and how to be unstuck. And then, or um, caught in the some kind of, you know, thinking, thoughts. You know, this is the way you should supposed to do, uh, but it's not happening, and... and so, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, um, do you teach meditation as part of, as part of broken heart um, offerings?
1: Yeah, we do offer uh, meditation class. Um, and some of the meditation uh, is traditional, like a vipassana form. But some of them is much more body-centered, you know, uh, like a dance program, you know, dance therapy, you know, <laughs> meditation, uh, I think it is important that we listen to our own body, uh, because our body is um, where uh, we meet our unconsciousness, you know, I feel that, so uh, if you just let your body, you know, move uh, like the way it wanted to move, then it comes to a point to where you can actually uh, release, you know, some of those uh, yeah. experiences of being caught, yeah
0: and we were talking about this earlier about how in the West we say that your issues are in your tissues, you know, which is a great saying because it means that we can't bypass our body and so I love that it's what's so amazing about when I talk to him and sense how what we're exploring is happening all globally, this Way of waking up that it's really through the body and waking up the heart and being with the vulnerability, and it's exactly what you're doing in right. your programs.
1: And I think, you know, even after the initial awakening, uh, what happened is the, our habitual tendency to tense up, you know, through our body that's what's causing us from uh, living in the truth, living in the, yes. you know, yeah, awareness.
0: Yeah, that as soon as we get tense, it generates right. more tense thoughts that go right. back to tense body, and, and so, we
1: we just automatically identify ourselves with our body, and 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 we we cannot, you know, even though I know, even though I feel that sometimes, however, our body is saying something else.
0: That's know? right, and we believe that. Right now. I want to say that the um, frame you put this in, to be without anxiety about imperfection, has been one of my guiding lights for the last, like, 30 years or whatever. And I'm wondering maybe if there are questions that others might have, um, just sensing what's been shared with you and this whole invitation to to learn to be with imperfection because really our home, our true home, our true nature can't be stained by them and the freedom that comes with that. And if there's any questions that come up for you, and I don't know if we have um, a mic nearby. This is uh, calling on our our handheld mic, but then we can uh, hear our questioner.
2: Yes. um, Could you share your thoughts on the relationship of mara to what you've been talking about and imperfection
1: relationship to mara okay. yeah
2: how yeah what's your thoughts on mara okay. and uh, in relation to imperfection
1: i think you know you can overcome mara you know when you realize that mara is actually Manifestation of your true nature. Uh, if you objectify Mara, you know, uh, as uh, evil or something that is um, wrong and we have to remove, you know, things like that, then uh, the battle will continue. However, if you actually sit down and just allow the Mara and then realize that actually the Mara is uh, coming out of the same one single awareness field, you know? It is the interplay of our mind in the whole life experiences. Uh, And then if you can become awakened to that, then no matter what kind of Mara appears to you, uh, you will not be bothered. You will will feel at ease.
0: I'm curious, how many of you do not know who Mara is? Oh. Sorry, <laughs> I had a feeling. So, okay.
1: oh, so the Mara is uh, right before the you know, Shakyamuni Buddha become awakened. Uh, this uh, the temptation, all this, uh, the uh, the king of um, how can I say the kings uh, who sent to tempt uh, Shakyamuni Buddha away from his awakening, you know. So uh, at first, you know this king of Mara, you know he sent uh, very beautiful women, and then later on he sent uh, whole you know troops, and then later on uh, the same image of him, and then asking you know who do you think you are, you know that kind of. Do you do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah.
0: So Mara, in a ways, what we sometimes call the shadow side. It's like all the greed, hatred, delusion, anything that we get identified with that makes us smaller. And it's not that the greed arises, it's just, it's not that we have lust or or wants that causes a problem. The problem is then we get identified and we think we have to have and that we are the wanting creature. So we can let everything arise as long as we don't get identified and lose sight of. I mean, the Buddha's deepest teaching is we suffer when we forget who we are. And that's, that's the challenge of Mara, but Mara, as you say, can be worked with. You can have tea with Mara because you don't have to get identified.
1: Exactly, so. yeah.
0: So any other questions? Hi, thank you very
2: much for being here. I was wondering if you have any very practical advice, for when a person spirals down in focusing very much on their imperfection and they're not able to necessarily separate that imperfection from their true nature. Like what emergency kit, (laughs) band-aid, would you suggest (laughs) <laughs> to help break apart that spiraling down.
0: Uh,
1: I don't know exactly what aspect of imperfections uh, that person is feeling, uh, but if I were you, I would point out that, you know, ask some rational questions, you know? Are you sure this is some of the really, you know, negative aspect of you? you know? If you look at it from that direction, Uh, I think it has some positive side to it, you know? And within your own, you know, capacity, you have done as much as you can, you know? Uh, So I think what you have done is actually pretty, it's wonderful in that sense. Uh, So I would try to shed light on uh, some of the positive side uh, so that, you know, he can think differently. They're looking at the same situation from another interpretations. You know, notice that uh, our human life is, uh, is a whole, se- just uh, nothing but a series of interpretations, you know. Depending on how you interpret it, uh, you will, you can accept the things as it is or you will feel miserable while resisting what is.
0: And, and I'll add on, because yes, it's please. great to have, um, in a way, these are the two wings, because this what this is the wing of, of wisdom, of really seeing clearly, this is not me. And look at where the goodness is. And then there's the wing of the heart side. And I can say for myself, I have gotten caught in feeling the trance of unworthiness at times when I, I felt like really selfish, and I felt like I just was not coming through for people, and in a way it was very hard for me to sense Buddha nature, that there was a goodness there. And that was really painful, just feeling this kind of intrinsic, you know, something's wrong feeling, really flawed. And it was in feeling the pain of that, like how much that hurt, and then realizing how many moments in my life I had been kind of caught in that sense of of something's wrong and how that had kept me from feeling intimate with others, it kept me from enjoying the sunset. In those moments of, of that suffering, something in me tenderized and so I could start to say, it's okay, sweetheart, it's okay. And even if you don't feel the self-compassion, fake it. <laughs> Go through the motions, because sometimes just putting your hand on your heart and speaking to the place in you that is not able to feel Buddha-nature it softens something and what actually happens is the self-sense starts losing its, its hard edges and there's a softening and you start inhabiting a bigger space and then you can see from the wisdom side much more clearly, oh, that's just that same character of self I've been identifying with all these years and there is something more and you can start shining the light just the way um, Hyman was talking about. So sometimes you have to go into the compassion side where you just go, ouch, this hurts, it's okay honey. That's why there's the beauty of these different teachings that there are, as the Buddha said, how many, like 86,000 different pathways and uh, we find out what works at any given moment and we have to really stay flexible because there's no one formula that's going to always work in any moment great to do tag team, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. I can do wisdom side, you can <laughs> do compassion side. <laughs> and then yes. we'll try to flip it, right? Yes, yes.
2: So I think it's just a follow-up on the same question. It's like a how-to when you have anxiety in yourself or you experience anxiety from other, and you need to have somehow calm down yourself as well. You want to maybe have compassion to yourself and to other people that you have conversation with. So the only twist in this question would be what kind of how-to you think is appropriate in business settings? So you have a meeting and you know you have your own anxiety or another person has his own anxiety now, but you still want to continue conversations about specific business topics. What appropriate measure we can have? For example, if you have your hand and your heart, I don't think it's pretty much accepted in the business meeting, what else we can use?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's funny how much you can get away with in business meetings. (laughs) But um, for me, I have to in some way start with myself before I can begin to Open a space and really sense um, what the other's going through. I have to have, in some way, breathe. I usually breathe into the place in me that feels vulnerable, and you can kind of do that anywhere. Nobody knows. <laughs> so, breathe in with it, and in some way, send a message of kindness or understanding inward. And it very quickly, there's kind of a magic. If you even remember the idea to be kind, just remembering that that's even your intention, to be kind toward yourself or another. Because your nature is kindness, it starts waking up automatically. So you can do it without any major grand dramatic gestures. I hope that kind of responds to what you're asking. And I can't see you, (laughs) because the light's glaring. But anyway, thank you. We had one more, and then I think we're going to have to close.
1: Thank you so much. Many of the conversations I've been having with my friends these days is about the loss of hope that we're seeing around the world these days, and we're seeing countries go into dictatorships, totalitarian regimes, the environment uh, is going to mess, and we're all trying
2: to figure out what is our roles as individuals within this, within this situation, how do we act mindfully? in making that change without being caught up in anger, fear, frustration, uh, anxiety. So it talks about basically the imperfection of the world that we're, working, that we're living in.
1: So I'm wondering if you have any tips or thoughts on how we as individuals
2: mindfully try to change the world that we're living in.
1: I think um, uh, one of the things we have to remind ourselves is you know, everything that we are you know, experiencing right now is uh, impermanent, you know, it's not gonna last. Uh, Trump is not gonna last. (laughs) So, you know, know, just uh, impermanence has a hope, you know, you know, the built-in hope, so to speak. Uh, So, you know, so if you are experiencing something incredibly negative, just remind yourself that it's not going to last you know? uh, but on the other hand, uh, I think what you are asking is a really good question um, we do want to walk into uh, the society and then bring all the you know, great wonderful practice where we, we've been doing it uh, into the reality, you know, uh, but sometimes we get caught in anger, you know, and frustrations so uh, I think uh, when I feel that way sometime, you know, that what I try to do is I remind myself, you know, what is my intention here, you know, um, and just to realize that my intention uh, is to see more compassionate, and uh, more loving, you know, uh, society. You know, for example, then uh, I should connect to that intention, and from that intention, out of that compassion, out of that loving kindness, I would go out and, and work. And if you do that, uh, you can uh, work for a long time. But if you are uh, fighting for something out of your anger, out of your bitterness, then you know what happens is after two or three years of you know. You know, active participation You yourself will become uh, burnt out And you will be disillusioned about the whole movement And you will, you know, you will know, you'll, you'll be wondering Okay, we won, you know, all the things that we wanted However, you know, it didn't turn out exactly what I had in mind, you know I am so disappointed about all those people We've been working together in this movement uh, You know, and you begin to hate them You see what I mean? So you have to coming out of your, uh, the intention of your uh, compassion and intention of heart, intention of
0: goodness I
1: don't know how to say it I mean, you're saying <laughs> yeah.
0: It, yeah yeah I, I just want to you know the word piggyback like where I, yeah. I think that's so right on that um, we want to serve a world that is going towards healing, justice, freedom and it won't work if we bring the same energy to try to make the change that's already the aggression that is causing so much suffering. And I feel angry a lot of days about what's going on. I mean, here we have the government's been shut down. I have friends and friends of friends that are really having a hard time. And so it gets me angry, and it gets me angry how come it shut down. I mean, there's, there's a kind of like, I can't, it's kind of a horror almost, and I'm angry about a lot of stuff. And so I let the anger be there, but I don't stop there. I keep going, I keep paying attention to what's under the anger, which, as you said, under the anger there's caring. I care about this world. And if I don't stop at the anger but get down to what's under it, then out of that caring, I can speak, I can write, I can engage wherever it seems helpful. So, so thank you for that. It's the intention deep down that we need to get to. And I think you said it beautifully. Yeah. Yes, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you for your questions. And again, on behalf of all of us, a deep bow. Thank you for being with us. For more talks and meditations, and to learn about my schedule or join my email list, please visit tarabrock.com.